Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning again, and and again, welcome. Um, Did you guys all get, like, your clocks set back? I know Skip said something about that. I get in the car, and my car, the clock in there is going to stay this way till spring. Because, no, really, it's so complicated. Every time I just, I, I can't, you have to enter a code, and then I'm pretty sure that, like, both the president and I have to turn keys at the same time. It's like, you know, it's crazy. So when we go back to daylight savings time, my clock will be right again. Um, we've been in this series on hope, and what a great time of year to be in a series of, about that, the way things are going in this country, the way things are going in the world. We certainly need to be talking about hope and how the church can orient us toward hope. And we learned that very first week that hope is, is not, as, as a disciple, as a follower, we're not talking about the idea of some psychological construct. We're not talking about, you know, the power of positive thinking. We're not talking about a, a hope that's kind of like, gee, I, you know, I hope that things will get better someday. We have a hope, and we've been talking about exactly what it's grounded in. And this morning, we're going to continue in that series. We're going to talk about the help of hope, which is prayer. Prayer is a central, central part of, of what we hope for and, and how we know God shares a hope with us and us with him. So we're going to be in the second letter to the Corinthians. Um, I want to revisit just for a second the first letter to the Corinthians. Paul, the apostle, writes to churches when they're having difficulty. And the Corinthian church certainly was having their share of difficulty not long after they planted. They're in a big cosmopolitan area. And you could kind of describe them as the party church. I mean, they literally are getting drunk while they're serving communion. And, and so there's a couple other things going on in this church in the beginning. And besides being the party church, they're also the partied church. Because in their carnality, in their, you know, we, we call it their flesh, they began to, to break into little factions. And the different preachers and the different leaders in the church all had their little faction. And so people in the church are saying things like, you know, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Cephas, or, or even I'm with Paul. And then, of course, you have those who are walking around who, who just float off the ground. And they're like, but I'm with Jesus. And, and, and being really kind of self-righteous and pious for the sake of of having their own group. And, and Paul writes the first letter to the Corinthians and says, hey, this, this, no good. This is not what we taught you. And so finally that starts to kind of sink in. And Paul's out on the mission field in Asia and he's, he's experiencing some things in Asia, some pushback to church planting. He's experiencing some real, real difficulty. And we know that that's the enemy kicking back, trying to keep the gospel from being spread. And he hears that the Corinthian church has been praying for him, that they're kind of pulling together. They're starting to get the idea a little bit. And Paul is so encouraged that he actually leaves the area he was ministering in and begins heading back toward the Corinthian church. And he writes them this letter in the meantime. And so we're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. We're going to read verses 3 to 11. And it says this, 
Praise be to the God and Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us again on him. We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us with your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. So you can tell Paul is just gushing at this church. He's just absolutely in love with this church and he cares very much about them. I think you see the word comfort in there nine or ten times. You see the words trouble or suffering at least seven times. He's really pouring his heart out right here. And he's speaking of trouble in Asia. And like I said, there was a a significant amount of pushback on, on his missional effort. And we're not quite sure. This is how bad it was. There were about five things that happened during that period of time. And Paul could have been this close to death at any one of them. One of the things is he experienced a terrible illness that almost took his life. He experiences being um, slashed, thrashed. As, as a beating, and I think he takes 39 lashes, and we're talking about things that go nearly down to the bone. This is a very serious torture in this time. At one point, he has the entire <clears throat> group of silversmiths in Ephesus who have been making their living, making s- silver idols for the people who worship Baal and other gods. And so many people have come to know Christ and they've stopped buying uh, idols from these silversmiths that they're not making any money. And so these are big guys and they riot and they're after Paul and he has them chasing him and he literally has to flee town because they've got him cornered. So the threat of death for Paul was not like, gee, bummer, I was having a bad day. He's talking about really the threat of death. Very, very serious. And the church has experienced things from the Jewish church that are kicking back and they're trying to infiltrate the different church plants that that Paul has made and saying, no, you've got this all wrong. You still need the law. And they're trying to influence young Christians and trying to influence young believers. And so it's a very tender time for the growing church. And it's under attack from all sides, the Roman government even. And Paul says, you're comforted, and we're comforted by your prayers. And and one thing I want to point out before we even really get into the content here is if you notice at no time does Paul go, why is this happening to me? 
Why is this happening to us? He just points out where his strength comes from. And he never gets bitter. And I think if there were someone that really had an opportunity to go, you know what? Nobody should get treated like this. It would be Paul, and yet he never, ever does that. So I think we have a a lot we can learn from Paul. I think he believes that, that the church making intercession, that the church praying for the needs of the church and the advancement of the kingdom is each one of our jobs, our vocation, as it were. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Father God, you have so much for us, and you do want to comfort us, and you do want us to be able to comfort each other with the knowledge and the depth of your love and your joy, Father. So speak to us of that this morning, Lord. Open, open ears and hearts, and, and, and Lord, just cause this teaching to fall in a way that much comfort, that much hope, revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in your handout, you have fill-ins. Keeps me on track. It keeps all of us on track. And your first one is this. Our hope is based on Christ's resurrection. Our hope is based on Christ's resurrection. Verse 9 says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I want to pause just for a second. Those words, raises the dead, resurrect, that's hard to wrap my brain around that. And we're, and we're actually going to do uh, a series in the spring that's going to be all about resurrection and heaven and what those words actually mean. I think Tim titled it, The Next Breath After My Last Breath. And so I'm really looking forward to jumping into that because this whole idea of resurrection is so central to our faith, but it's so hard to wrap our heads around, right? But what Paul is really saying is that the resurrection has happened, not just the resurrection of Christ. A resurrection has happened for him and it's, and it's going to happen for all of us. It's either going to happen now in the moment or it's certainly going to happen later. We can count on our resurrection. That's a very, very powerful idea. Romans 8, 11 puts it this way. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul is in serious trouble. He is in way over his head. Some of you have been in this situation. I know there's people in here this morning that have been in combat. That close to death. Some of you have had near-death experiences, whether it's in an accident or some sort of illness. Some of you have been that close to death. Some of you are combating a different kind of death, even for your very soul. Or perhaps you're, you're locked in combat and you feel near death in your marriage, in a relationship that you have. There are very real threats out there. And Paul says, this, this is the time when we're at that point where we remind ourselves that we serve a God who raises the dead. 
We serve a God who raises the dead. Do me a favor. Everybody say this with me. We serve a God who raises the dead. We serve a God who raises the dead. That is no small thing. And that comes from, D.A. Carson puts it this way. It's so, it's so beautiful. He says, when nothing of God's love is visible, the cross of Christ and the empty tomb remain. When you can't see what God's doing, when it's dark, that cross is still there. And that tomb is as empty this morning as it was 2,000 years ago. Your second feeling is this. Our hope is broadened through your prayers. Our hope is broadened through your prayers. In verses 10 and 11, he says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Here's the help of hope. Prayer. Paul says we've been delivered, we're being delivered, we will be delivered, and it's being helped by your prayers. It's being assisted. God is listening because of your prayers, church. You're affecting things. That is hope. We put that picture up, Rachel. This is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man who graduated Bible college around 1953. He married someone he had gone to school with. Her name was Elizabeth. The two of them together discovered that he had a real heart for evangelizing lost tribes, lost peoples. And one of them was the Hirani Indians in Ecuador. And he, he just fervently prayed for them over a period of time. And he began to seek out people that had a like heart. And so through prayer, he found... Four other people, Ed McCulley, Roger Yaudarian, Pete Fleming, and a pilot named Nate Saint. And they went to Ecuador, and they would fly over the rainforest jungles looking for this tribe of Hirani Indians to evangelize. And eventually they contacted them, and they dropped leaflets down to them. And and a few days later, they went back and spotted them again, and they landed, and they met one of the tribesmen. And they met with him with a, for a series of, of a couple months, actually. And they got to know him, and they actually kind of named him George because his actual Hurani name was very difficult to pronounce. I'm not even going to attempt it. But George eventually said, yeah, I'll take you back to the village. This sounds great. And, and, and we'll talk to the people about the very thing you want us to talk about. And so the five men were very, very encouraged. And we read in their journals that they, they thought they were doing the work of Christ. And that their prayers over all of these years before they went and during this time had been answered. And the truth was is that George had been not telling the truth back to the people in the village. And so as they entered the village, ten Hirani warriors came out and slaughtered them. News of it reached back to the United States that the missionaries were not coming home and the wives were actually heartbroken. But Elizabeth, believing that they had not missed God, continued to pray for the Hirani, 
continued to seek intervention from God. And two years later, she and some of the other wives and some other ladies went into the Ecuadorian rainforest and successfully evangelized the Hurani Indians. That entire region today is full of vital churches because they chose to keep in with prayer. Your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. I can't help but think back to how we got this building we, we were going to do something else entirely. We had property out on, on um, Highway 90. And, and we weren't even thinking about this. Someone said, let's take another thought about it. And this building was on 27th Avenue and was ridiculously expensive and we couldn't afford it. So we said, okay, let's, let's fast and pray. And so as a church, we corporately fasted and prayed for 27 days. 27th Avenue, 27 days, it sounded good. And, and at the beginning, we called the, the bank that owned this building, and, and we made them a ridiculously low offer. And they, when they stopped laughing, then they hung up. And on the 27th day, we broke the fast, and the bank called us and said, you can have the building for that price. Your prayers matter. Seeking God matters. And so now we get to experience the third fill-in, which is this. Our hope is experienced by the many. Our hope is experienced by the many. Paul writes in verse 11, Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul tells the Corinthian church that your prayers, what you're doing in your church, has caused a ripple effect out throughout the other churches in of worship and praise and prayer and advancement of the kingdom and it's the same for us as we tell stories of of our redemption if we give our witness as we go to small group and we engage each other and we hear and pray for each other as the prayer team lifts your prayers up so faithfully every week and as you sit and pray For what we're going to do here at Seacoast Vineyard Church. As for what you're going to do. For what God is going to do with your life. Paul says, look, we were down. We were out. We were dismay. We were, we were at the point of despair. And something changed. And it changed because of your prayer. It made a difference. Next week, I, I can't help but think um, we're going to have a leadership rally for, for people who are leaders or, or going to be leaders in, in any of the ministries in this church. And we do this periodically. And the year-end one is always significant because we will talk about what this church is going to do in 2017 and what, what we as people are going to do to contribute to that. And so I would just like to ask that uh, even if you're not involved in that meeting, if you would be praying for the leadership of this church top to bottom, that, that we're given a, a vision 
of what God wants to do with Seacoast Vineyard Church. I look back on some of the things that we've accomplished in the last year. I don't know if you guys know what Outreach Magazine is, but it is a national um, magazine with a large distribution that talks just about church outreach. And we had a big article in there just recently about the cafe and what we're doing with the students down there. That all started and is based in prayer and supported by your prayers. We are having opportunities to partner with local schools that we didn't have before, to partner with the city of Myrtle Beach in a time when most cities are trying to figure out how to quash religious uh, expression in their towns, the city of Myrtle Beach is asking us into the process with them. That's God. That's only God does that. And it's going to require our prayer, our support in, in getting on our knees and saying, God, show us how you want to use us. Show us what we as a church can do. Because I dare say the climate out there (laughs) right now is ugly. This is about the angriest and the most angst-filled I have seen this country. I was not very old during the Vietnam War era, but I imagine this is the first time we've really approached that. And we are a people who claim no ordinary hope. No ordinary hope. And we're called to be a beacon on a hill, a light in the darkness. And we're going to know what that looks like by asking God. What do you think? You guys down for that? Let's pray. Lord, as we, as, as we go through our days, as we go to work, as we go to school, as, as we care for the people in our family, Lord, just as we go through our routine, it is so easy to forget how big you really are. Lord that you do raise the dead that Lord if if you desire you advance your kingdom at your will and you stretch it into our lives in the here and now that the resurrection you promise is not somewhere in the future only Lord that your resurrection happens in the here and now, even in our lives as, as, as we ask for your touch, Father. As we ask for your touch in healing, as we ask for your direction. So Lord, this morning, we want to ask for your direction. We want to ask for your touch so that we, as a people together, Lord, Give us, give us the shovel. <laughs> Lord, I just see that, that for you, prayer is a shovel. And, and, and Lord, we're just asking, where do we dig? Where should we start, Lord?
that we start as holes and, and canals and we build waterways, Lord, of rivers of, of, of your kingdom flooding into this area, Lord. So, Father God, I ask that even this morning you speak to us in specifics. I just want to give that a minute. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.